So there are many forms of meditation practice or things we can cultivate, reflections, um, reflections on a death, reflections on the nature of the body, unattractive nature of the body, mortality, good karma, reflections on Buddha, enlightenment, awakening, things that help to turn the current of the mind to this internal place of fruition, completion. It's trying to prevent or curtail the disintegration into forms and tastes and colors and birth and death. (coughs) Even reflecting on death itself is a useful practice, practice of wise reflection. As you bring up the theme, you know, as if tonight is our last, your last night on earth, on the body. You do this carefully, generally recommended to do this every day. So you're practicing with that because, of course, you know, that's what happens. Eventually is one's last day or hour. So, uh, and this is a major transition. So you need a few dress rehearsals. <laughs> Get ready for the big night, you know. <laughs> but what it what it does if you and you kind of work through some of the obvious stuff of uh, fear or uh what I'm going to do about my dog or my property or whatever, you know, things like that. You're coming down to what is it? It really means like no future, the end of the future, the end of the possibility of the future, the end of the the known things, sense faculties fading, ending of the, of the sense consciousness, yeah, ending of... Um, contact impressions, <clears throat> ending a mental volition, can't push on, can't, we're powerless, yeah, with that, aren't we, and the ending of feeding on the senses, so it's uh, reflecting again, coming back to those, the four nutriments the Buddha was reminding us of, food, material food, this is, can be seen as a simile for all all material things, externals that we tend to feed on, whether it's physical food or eye fodder, um, you know, something that we just, you know, that open our senses up to and try to take in. Mm. Yeah. Uh, with this sense of this will provide the fulfillment, the enrichment that I seek and doing this for a lifetime and never really getting it because it doesn't it it uh, it breaks up the mind it breaks up one's awareness into a person and an object isn't it 
person and an object. That's disintegration. <laughs> Starting to break up into that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, material food, material sense objects, we seen uh, carefully as something we want to reset our attitudes and responses around. Mm-hmm. Like these are these are things we steer with, we navigate through. We're not here to feed on them. We're here to to use them to navigate through life, just through the sights, sounds, touches, and so forth. Mental volition. You know, another food we fill up with, feeling of being able to do things, get places, accomplish things, make things happen. The pushing, pushy mind, you know, and how we fill up, feed upon that particular potential ability, our gifts to create, to make, to have, to so forth, to do things through the mind, through this willpower. Mm-hmm directing ourselves uh, but of course again whatever you do there's still a bit more to do isn't there mm. if we understand whatever we got knowledge we have is a little more we wish we could have so mind mental volition does not bring to fulfillment uh, contact impressions agreeable fleeting interpretations of experiences um, theory, you know everything remains outside of our interpretations of it and we grasp at uh, perceptions mm. happiness and uh, and so forth and the perceptions of each other contact impressions of each other, dear, treasured, and so on. And, you know, they flutter through, they flash through, and then, you know, the sense of the sadness of life. We don't really can't hold each other. And that's, we can't fill each other up, we can't live with each other. You know, on a perceptual level. Consciousness itself, the sense consciousness, and how something in us wants to you know, have another sight, another sound, another thought, one more time, another one. And it's, yeah, you know, it goes on, doesn't it? And it keep providing things, but it never, you know, it doesn't arrive anywhere. Yes, of course, this would be really quite miserable if there wasn't you know a resolution of that which is quality of here is one way I'd like to remind us of that here the deathless is here so when we contemplate death the ending of you know our ability to uh, feed ourselves ability to 
to a, the powerlessness of mental volition is not going to work anymore. Mm. Got to give up future, got to give up making things happen, got to give up controlling things, got to give up changing things, got to give up, you know, working things out. Mm. Even thinking, you know. And the, the contact perceptions and feelings are born of contact fading. This is useful just to take this through slowly, you know, contemplate it, consider it slowly, and then what's left? What's left? What's left? What's left? You know, that's that's the point. <laughs> You know, if we're grasping at these other things, we don't realize what's, what's always here, what's left. Yeah. The frightened person or the unsteady person reaches out for something that's essentially not graspable. Grasping tries to frame it up, but it keeps like holding snowflakes. <coughs> So what's here when all that, when things pass? Now when you're <clears throat> practicing while you're a, all this stuff is happening, you know, one's life is going on, you know, this, this is a very a portable and simple, all, all weather, all conditions, all terrain, multi-purpose, you know, access, multi-access meditation, being here. There we are. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> because being here is always being here with what's going on rather than being here in what's going on. It doesn't mean getting, you know, not being here with what's going on. It means being here with what's going on. So it's not a repudiation or a denial or shutting things down, nor is it uh, getting drawn in to what's going on. It's a very fine balance, the middle, the middle way of the Buddha. And you contemplate it, you know. So now the I am sense is always in something. Always riding on something, isn't it? I am having a good time, having a bad time. I am in a hurry. I am confused. I am this, I am that, and the other. It's always in it. Riding on it. And suffering with it. Stressing with it. And out of that stressing come the mental volitions, you know, karma, to make, to have, to do, to become, to change, to fix, to so forth. Notice as you're practicing, you know, 
what happens when we come into these difficult places, we feel the sense of being shaken, being overwhelmed, being flooded. We're very much we're in that experience, the sense of being in it. Desire, in craving, in restlessness, in boredom, in pain. Or of course in bliss and in rapture and in happiness and and beautiful things too. In gratitude, we're feeling filled, flooded with that, filled with that. There's beautiful things. And just being here with it doesn't mean you can't experience it. But you're finding that place which is not going to change. It's completed. It allows us to operate from that refuge place. It discharges the craving and the clinging and the anxiety by itself. Because those are all, you know, all these formations need to be believed in to keep going. We need to get in them. All these programs and activities, you've got to participate in in them. They need a partner, like dancers that need partners. Yeah. They've got an apartment, they sort of wheel around the floor a bit and then get bored and they don't know, they just deconstruct. So your Sankara's always got something to play with. And generally I am gets out on the floor with them, gives them a few whirl. It's <laughs> a <laughs> always ready to fill the dance card with another Sankara. <laughs> now what we're doing is not, instead of being the, the, we're just, instead of being that, the one who engages with it, the, 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 becomes the partner of the Sankara, we become more like the, the space within which that, that f- those forms arise. The space of the hall, instead of the, in, engaging with it. Now, some difficult things come across there, don't they? Craving, we notice our craving, our addictions, our phobias, the various, put it bluntly, you know, various forms that tanha takes, thirst, you know, a real push to be filled with something or to re- repel something. Fear. And death is there to remind us that you know, there's going to be a time when you can't push away and a time when you can't have anymore. So, coming back to, well, what, what can you do? You can be here with it. You can be here with craving. And that really is this enormous turning point. And we look at things like, you know, destruction of craving and so forth. Yeah, how do you think that happens? By and large, 
the uh, <coughs> the point of turning around is craving between craving and clinging. So craving is the is the action, the kind of reaching out, and then the clinging is when we form something. The mind forms something to to put that craving onto. You know, something is you've got this kind of hungry, itchy, yeah sense and it, ah and then it finds an object or creates an object to to do it to <laughs> to you know it's like looking for a dance and it ah here's the here's the music this is the one we're going to go with and like this you know clinging it frames something up to to cling to sights sounds memories uh ideas projects so forth you know self-images, something to cling to. And it's, it's, uh, the power of craving is such that it, you know, will find just something to, to frame up that has got a bit of uh, juice in it. Something that's got some energy in it so that the Sankara gets some more Sankaras to play with. Yeah. So, you know, you get this volitional tendency to create something and you know, it creates something you can get some contact impressions that you get things start moving, get excited, get irritated, get righteous, get uh, hypnotized, get activated by. There's always something seek, craving, seek something to get going on. You can't get a good cling <laughs> if the thing's got no juice in it. <laughs> so and then it frames up something to get clung to, you know. And of course, you know, we even frame up Nibbana, something we can cling to. There's a sort of, you know, liberation, meditation, cling to that idea. God, the nature of the universe, you know, and so forth. It's uh, uh, not all just, you know, chocolate bars and... uh, (laughs) It's some pretty fine stuff out there. Yeah. You notice in the <clears throat> Brahmajala Sutta, the first discourse of the long, long discourses, the Buddha talks of the clinging to views yeah. and different kinds of views. I think 64 different kinds of views about the nature of the self and the nature of the world whether it's finite, infinite, both finite and infinite, whether the self is eternal, semi-eternal, lives after death, changes into something else after death, does not live after death. This huge debate of all the views and opinions that are held by the various thinkers and sages at the time. And the Buddha says, well, this view, I've heard that view, I know that view, I understand that view, Having seen where that view takes me to, I see the danger of the view. Having seen the danger of it, I see the escape from it. And in the end, it says all these profound and, you know, metaphysical and philosophical views stem from contact and craving. You know, it's just contact is also not just the impact contact, but the wanting to have an impression, 
the wanting to get something to get, you know. Even on a kind of psychological, spiritual level. So it can go to very refined places, from sense objects all the way up to notions. And uh, by and large, uh, what happens certainly in the saying is uh, in, in the sutras, they all the kshatriyas quarrel over sense objects, samanas quarrel over views. It means that the people who are not cultivating, like kshatriyas are the kind of ordinary warriors, you know, uh, people who are actually rooted in material things, they fight over over the sense base, over sense pleasures. And samanas, contemplatives, quarrel over views. They get attached to views. Because once you particularly renounce your life, you've given up the rest of it. You know? What you, and all your clinging goes on to just the last bit you've got, which is view. <laughs> and uh, all that clinging, which is kind of spread out over the universe, has now been condensed into one point. And this is the tenacity of that clinging. Yeah. It's right. It's important. True. Mm. And all this. And they don't see the clinging in it. Because it seems right and true and so on. Mm. And then we, we embed in it. And it's of course is the where the, the horror of all these uh, isms arises. All the isms. Generally when you hear an ism coming your way or <laughs> or an ology. And isms and ologies generally it's <laughs> a big cling is coming your way. Well, then, you know, what's this doing? This contact with this, this, this view, and the contact with it, the excitement, the tingling, the power, the energy, the tremendous inflation that can occur with it, the stand we can make upon it, the territory we can occupy it, the way we can judge everybody else in accordance with it. You know, this is the big one, isn't it? With this enormous. Uh, self thing rises up we don't even see it Mm. clinging framing it up you get to feel clinging and uh, feel what it feels like to be rigid hard opinionated So we study this experience. This is not like something that happens to other people. It happens to every one of us. It's clinging. A craving, searching for something to cling to. And wherever the I am arises, that's the result of clinging. So clinging is a thing that transforms the dynamic of craving into an I am. 
So you get the dynamic of craving, which is a kind of movement, an energy that's seeking, like a pulling, drawing, dragging quality. And what transforms that into an I am is called clinging. Then the the I am appears, it's called bhava, becoming, existence. So when the Buddha says, "I, I I teach the ceasing of existence, this is what he means, this sense of being an object being a thing and that's caused the dynamic of craving is translated by clinging into becoming into an I am I now have a position I am this even a rotten position horrible position you know that we can find ourselves in you know the misjudged the looked down upon you know cling to that Cling to our addictions and phobias and our guilt around it all. You know, so this is in, enormous, just to sort of really stop and widen, just that widening of awareness to, to be with this, this form, this self-experience as it's happened, wherever it's embedded in. I tell you, that's that's the way out, and there isn't uh, other way out, and it is the way out for all of it. It's the way out for the stupid I am, the crazy I am, you know, the wonderful I am, the enlightened I am. It's the way out for all of them. They can all get out through that door. <laughs> they don't have to be that good. Just, just the the faculty. How else could there be this liberation? That the Buddha taught in this in this life for beings, for all kinds of beings. Yeah, it wasn't something that was very direct and available. And it's just being being with you, you know, and standing with, being beside that. And, being here with it. Mm. And this is the one that's going to take us through life and through death. Realize what we're with is, is a moment. A moment that's impelling. A moment that's got a push to it to say, engage, act upon me, freak out, worry, get going. <laughs> Do something. And you're going, mm-hmm. Think, just pause, pause around that one. Yeah. Are you complete you know, and then really using this body reference while we have this form, using that as something to give that quality of here uh, a specific ground, you know, so you can fully rally your awareness around that this form. This is what the great gift of a body is, yeah. The great gift of the human birth is we have these bodies with all their, you know, crud and mucus and stuff like that. <laughs> that's that's just the external form of it, but the internal quality of it is this, this embodiment experience, and humans. 
This, what is it? These humans are the ones who've got the best chance of liberation, better chance than devatas, because they don't have bodies the same as we have. You know, it's kind of, and then Brahmas don't have bodies at all. They're very difficult to realize because they haven't got anything that checks their mental volition. Yeah. So they're just all, you know, there's this Brahma Lokas, these where you can just, whatever you want, you can imagine it, you know, it happens. It's called the Paranimita Vasavati, and the Nimita Vasavati means whatever you, you delight in creating images, and whatever image you, you create, it appears. Sounds great, doesn't it? Bad idea. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty lofty, so they're not just creating kind of, you know, cosmetics and <laughs> gadgets and things like that. They're kind of up there, fairly high, but still they're out there kind of creating worlds of light and so forth. And, uh, and then there are the devas who delight in this. And the interesting thing is this deva loka where they delight in this ability to generate whatever their, their, their wishes are. There are two kings. And the king, one king, is the Deva king. And what he doesn't know is there's another king. And the other king is called Mara. <laughs> and he, f- he forgets that Mara is, is actually the real boss. And Mara's saying, yeah, you want, you know, have another one. Have another dance. You know, here's another one. This is endless creation. So they're out there for like Kalpas, you know, creating realms and Stuff like that. This is really difficult to get out of this one. Get down to a dumpy old human body you want out. (laughs) Because this is, (laughs) no matter how much you try and create it into something wonderful, (laughs) it ain't going to (laughs) happen. Whatever you wish it to be, it ain't going to be. It's got, (laughs) it's stubborn. It's certainly not deva-like. It's not subject to mental volition. And that's good news, you know, because it's the, uh, the food of mental volition is indeed a very attractive form of food. You know, wish, 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 get, wish, create, wish, make. Yeah. It comes to the body, it doesn't do it. Yeah. So when we're using the body as a place that's, that's where the mental volition can be stopped, released. You know, so I've been saying, you know, with breathing, the point of it is the breathing, when you really start to open your body, get there to really feel the full presence of it, you don't need mental volition to, to breathe gets in the way and sometimes it takes years to stop doing it to stop making something out of breathing to stop seeing breathing as something you've got to get good at or perfect in some way you know just you kind of really 
finding, you know, you've got to put some energy into it, some effort into it. Most of the energy is just how can I find a way to notice what I'm doing I don't need to do and oh, let release, just check, just let go of that, release that, open that up, let the body breathe, you know. And, but the aim of it is to come to, a, to an experience where the mental volition can quiet and write down to just the intention to stay present with it. Just to stay present. So you're really taming that runaway beast. And then the contact impressions, where they feel, feel like breath, like water, like fire, glowing, tight, expansive, visions, sounds, yeah, yeah, breathing in, breathing out. Yeah, yeah, breathing in, breathing out, just coming back to that and to the using it as a way of being here, coming to being here. Hmm? So this, then we're using that just as a refuge point, the entry to the to the deathless. <coughs> breathing, of course, is going to stop one day. But while we we can use it as the gateway to something that's not about volition, not about sense impression, not about a particular feeling, not about something that's created, and you know you 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 come you begin to sense that, and every time that you come into some spun out state, some overwhelmed state, some spinning out state, you pause, check the volition, you know, check that impulse, check the forming of a self out of it and soften, wine, let it here we are. Here we are. So you, you keep acknowledging that process whereby the force of craving is trying to create something to get hooked onto. Any old stuff will do after a while. Anything, you know, it gets desperate. Dredging stuff up from the bottom of the tank. You know. <laughs> Childhood memories, speculations about, you know, things that have no relevance at all. It's like, you know, you begin to see this in a long retreat, you're running out of fodder. So we have to, you know, really send out <laughs> for some takeaway stuff. You know, any old thing will do. <laughs> and it can be, you know, to see the mind so out of control can be rather alarming, disappointing. Yeah building things. So when I think retreats, you run yourself building things in your mind, redesigning things you don't need to redesign. You can't do it anyway. You don't know how to do it. You can't do it. It doesn't need to be done. There's no money to do it, but still you do it. Your mind does it. You know. Completely pointless. Yeah. And what? And 
one retreat, I was looking at his little bag, you know, you have these little bags. I thought, what I really could do with another pocket on that bag? <laughs> this was a dangerous moment. <laughs> it's such an innocent thought, isn't it? I just need another, I, was, I can't get enough stuff in it. So I thought, right, design this bag. Pockets, zips, it's kind of this bag, the ultimate bag that uh, occupied spare moments in, or spare hours sometimes in my meditation. <laughs> Till the end of the retreat, I just got this fantastic idea, that finally got it. I got to the end of the retreat, actually I don't need a bag. <laughs> I've got one already, and uh, why don't I just put less things in it? So you see some of the scenarios the mind can create and the, the textures of it, the, the dreamlike, um, boggy stuff, glutinous, sticky stuff. And it, you really begin to just see how powerful that form of tanha is. But then rather than saying, oh, you know, I'm someone who's got a lot of craving, I'm a really cra- craving kind of person, I've got so many desires, I'm really stuck in craving. We're not craving, I'm resisting. We're not desiring something, I'm fighting something. No, you're not. (laughs) It's just craving doing it, that's all. And so, what does it feel like? Come back to the feeling of that. Into your body, walking up and down. Standing, sitting just being present with that and just remembering things like next moment you might be dead next moment you might be dead just little things to just help to tell the mind you know this this is giving up time okay just keep gently point you know presenting that to the mind okay get it you know this is giving up time, okay, you know, no force, but just look at that, signs on the wall, (laughs) Uh, and it gets the point, if you do it carefully enough, kindly enough. Steadily enough, and then you don't have to be that. You know, you're here, you're present, there's walking, there's standing, there's breathing, there's feeling, there's emotions, there's sensations, all that's fine. Yeah. Even a bit of craving now and then is okay. Yeah. Keep you in touch. Yeah. But the what we work on is the clinging and the being and the becoming. So when we begin to understand this, then the mind, the scent, the movement of really coming back to here could be one of compassion, just recognizing, my goodness, you know, the awesome power of this force that controls people. So many people are like puppets in the dance of craving, you know, a sense of tremendous compassion and, uh, um, Samwega, which means a sense of urgency, and uh, mm, you know, 
that's one way of coming back into here, isn't it? We can be with something. And is you always come back to here, and here is directly experienced through through the chitta, the heart resting. Heart rests in the here. You can't think it. It's not a mano. It's not a mind mental object. So when if you try to find a word to sum it up, that's why you just use a word like here because it's so meaningless <laughs> in a way. It's so transparent, it's so neutral. Could be any old thing, couldn't it? So ordinary. Whereas you think about something like cosmic awareness or undivided unity or transcendent knowing, you get a little bit of pizzazz around that. And that's what you don't want. You want something that's where your sankharas go, so what? <laughs> There's a sense of you, you release and you relax into that. You, it's called a, a descent into the deathless. Like a descent dropping into. It's comfortable. This is directly realized in the chitta, in the heart. So we say, well, the heart, we mean instead of the thought faculty, where we can conceive, it's the heart faculty, something that's directly known. Directly known. And that's really important because one of the big shifts that occurs, you know, even in quite experienced meditators is the movement we try to, and you know, there's something good about that, trying to translate our experience into some uh, words or concepts so we'll remember it, you know. Oh yeah, it's that, now I'm clear. And you've got to be careful with that, that movement. You know, because it can be a movement away from the direct realization, which is like a, the mind blows out, Nibbana. The blowing out, it just mm. the uh, one of the images that's used is the nun Patachara, who is uh, one of her her realizations. She's walking up and down a meditation path, walking up and down, walking up and down. I don't know how many hours, you know, barefoot. So she comes into the her little hut and washes her feet and. Uh, reaches out to turn down the, the lamp and just she's touching the lamp to turn it down her mind just goes it says just like the turning down of a flame my mind is released from you know from all the forms and sights and sounds almost like uh, things are blowing out So it's, you know, it's always, uh, if we come to these places, is it this, is it that, how does it feel? Is it this, is it that, am I this, am I that, how does it feel? Can you be with that, that experience? Can you be present with it? 
Can you open to it? You're not get caught up in it. So whether it's refined or subtle or coarse, ignoble, noble, disgusting, deeply personal or completely trivial. You know, this is the you know the portable meditation. Is just to can you be here with that? What is here with that? Doesn't participate and doesn't reject. Mm. It's not feeding. And as is, we were looking at the sutta this morning, and as it's the Buddha saying, when you know, when the cessation, cessation of feeding, cessation of nutriments, consciousness does not get established, there is no coming to be, there is no sorrow, lamentation, and despair. This is the liberated consciousness. Consciousness does not establish itself. In that sense, it doesn't take an object. Yeah. And where's that? You, know, you think, well. <laughs> it's you have to it's the unraveling isn't it to to that and the tremendous patience and and generosity of heart and compassion and uh, that needed to to carry you know these various forms and our karma to get around it to not be phased by it not to indulge in it and not to be get Deberating about it, just so that we find the place where this can be rested, set down, let free, let it be. Hmm? This is where, as you, you come into your last week or ten days, or whatever it is of the time here, some of you will be staying longer. But really, you know, looking at how you can firm up. How you can find a kind of reference point for your practice that you you kind of get it and then you can work on it and you just make more and more use of it so that it uh, can stay with you. It helps you to unravel the forms of suffering. Thank you.